since today we, we observe the, the Sunday after Ascension, this is our third day of the Novena in preparation for Pentecost, we should um, not envy too much our brothers and sisters in New York City for whom this past Thursday was a holy day of obligation. But as we encounter friends who, who grouse about here, Thursday not having been a holy day of obligation, one thing that we should be ready to point out to them is that if it had been a holy day of obligation, as they indicate they desired, would they have canceled work, not gone to school, freed their calendar, gone to church, and just spent the day um, with family as a, as a real holy day, the way they will tomorrow for Memorial Day. The way the average person observes Memorial Day should serve as something of a standard of how every holy day of obligation should be spent. And, and we know that not everyone tomorrow is, is really observing Memorial Day. They're just taking advantage of it. So it's easier, obviously, to set aside a day when we know that everyone is doing so. But at least if we know that that's um, what the church is doing, um, it should give us um, something to keep in mind as we prepare for August 15th. December 25th is pretty easy. January 1st, we should keep that in mind. How do, I, how, do, how do people spend Memorial Day? Let's encourage them to spend their holy days similarly. Um, just a, something to have in your quiver. So as we meditate on this time of the life of the apostles, the second glorious mystery of the rosary, we should always remind ourselves of what's happening and what's not happening. Could be familiar. You may remember last year's homily. But still, let's compare how we imagine those events having happened and what really took place. So let's begin, for the, for the sake of a, a timeline, let's begin with the day that our Lord was arrested on Holy Thursday. So we should make that, make that mark in our timeline. Holy Thursday, when he was arrested, that's when the apostles became totally frightened, afraid for their lives, hiding, probably at odds with one another. Who knows what they were saying to Peter after the betrayals? Who, know, who knows what they were saying about Judas? Holy Saturday is the second day after Good Friday. When our Lord rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, the apostles already been having been given a forewarning about the need to go to Galilee. The holy women, the first witnesses of the resurrection, were told, tell the apostles to go to Galilee. That's where they will see him. And the apostles did not obey. They didn't believe. They needed to see for themselves. Peter and John ran to the tomb. They saw. Then they believed that our Lord's body was missing. They believed at least some of what was told them. And began to believe 
that what they didn't understand before is rising from the dead is what had taken place. Later that day, though, our Lord appears to the ten. Judas is dead. Thomas isn't there. And they're afraid, and they're locked up. Remember, they had been told to go to Galilee. Even seeing the empty tomb, they haven't gone to Galilee. One week later, a week after Easter Sunday, they still haven't gone to Galilee. They're still afraid. They're still locked in the room, afraid for their lives. Our Lord then appears to the eleven, because Thomas is with them. And he, he shows Thomas his mercy, but he also chides Thomas. Do not remain in your unbelief, but believe. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That should have been a description of the apostles. The apostles should have believed just by virtue of the witnesses telling them that the Lord is risen, but they didn't believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Then, then we hear about them up at the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing and our Lord calls to them. They eat with him. And then they're back with him in Jerusalem and they see him ascend into heaven. And after the ascension, how, how are they left? Scared and afraid? Hiding? Or are they rejoicing? Happy? We need to read all the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles to put it all together. This is how St. Luke's Gospel ends. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. These days between Ascension and Pentecost, the apostles weren't in hiding. They weren't afraid. They weren't locked up. They were joyful. They were praising God in the temple. They were praying together in private. They were asking for God's guidance and choosing a 12th apostle to replace Judas. They were with Mary, not just not only each other as a small group, but many other witnesses of the resurrection. Yes, we know how Matthew's gospel ended. That's probably why we think something is wrong. Matthew's gospel ends, chapter 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the close of the age." Because we've compartmentalized these passages of sacred scripture, many of us assume that since the apostles didn't immediately do that on Ascension Thursday, there must be something wrong. They must be afraid. They must be disobedient. Just like they were disobedient when they didn't go to Galilee. 
How do we explain that? We don't need to. The Holy Bible already does. First chapter of Acts of the Apostles. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Those nine days of prayer after ascension was out of obedience. Our Lord said, go back to Jerusalem. Wait there. Pray. You will be clothed with power from on high. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so minimally, we know that the time spent with the risen Lord before the ascension, left the apostles totally confident. He is God. His promises will come true. Even when we think all is lost, there's never a reason to despair anymore. He goes into heaven, and they're not left afraid and worried. They will always be confident. They will always believe. But even more so, they know that they've been given a commission. And in obedience, they returned to Jerusalem with that joy of having been with Christ and knowing that he will never abandon them, even if they can't see him. But we have to wonder, did they realize what Pentecost would mean? Did they understand what it meant that they would be clothed with power from on high, baptized by the Holy Spirit? They couldn't have understood that. But that didn't in any way diminish their joy because they belonged to him indelibly. One of our most recently engaged couples in the parish found that the the date for the proposal turned out to be a, a rainy sort of miserable day. But he still managed to convince her, meet me at the tidal basin. Why should I meet you at the tidal basin? It's raining. Just trust me. It's going it's, it's to be worth it. Just meet me at the tidal basin. The Lord sets an appointment for us. We know because, because he has called us, because he has told us, we'll go. We'll be joyful. Not just grudgingly obedient. There can't possibly be any way of anticipating what will happen when Pentecost happens. We talked last week about the love of God. The love of God isn't just uniform and generic. He doesn't love you the way he loves ants. He doesn't love ants the way he loves trees. And he certainly loves, above all, God the Son more than all the created universe combined. What will be the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? It won't finally be a supercharged battery and reminder and alarm clock and and help to just be good. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't come down so that we can just be good creatures who don't offend God. He turns us into a new kind of creature. The apostles didn't just rejoice that they'd been forgiven. Of course, we're grateful that we've been forgiven. But how do they describe this new life of being in Christ? We're a new man. The old man is dead. We're now living a new life. It's a new life. It's not that, oh, now I get to, you know, reset the clock and I get to experience what it was like for Adam and Eve. No. We are experiencing a new kind of human life. St. Paul says that we are almost like God's. Think of what's happening. It's not just that you're forgiven of sin. It's not just that you're incorporated into the church. You're adopted as a son or daughter of God. You aren't just a very pleasing creature. You're an adopted member of his family. When God then sees you in the state of grace, he doesn't just see a creature who hasn't displeased him. He doesn't just see a creature who's obedient. He sees his son. He sees himself. If love is partly measured by the good that God can will the recipient of his love, which is why his love for the Son and the Holy Spirit cannot even be compared to any other love he has for any other being. Now he gives you even more good. He can will more good because you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The good that he can impart to you is far beyond the good he can impart to a creature who has yet to receive him and open their hearts to his grace. We aren't then just human beings who have been cleaned. We are creatures who have been raised up to be able to participate in the love of, of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So then for for those of us who know now, because we believe without having seen, we know the mystery that's going to be celebrated at Pentecost. Or at least we know about it. And can be, can be better prepared to open our hearts to what God wants to, to give us. When we pray then our novena, or if you haven't yet been praying the novena, you can catch up. For most of the church, this is Ascension Sunday anyway, so you might as well start your novena today. Pray, not just for a thing. Don't pray for a particular gift, and don't even just pray that, that something you want take place. Pray to be open to receiving everything that God has to give you. Or maybe you can pray for a gift or pray for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't pray for them so that you can accomplish your purpose. Pray to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit so you can accomplish God's purpose, so you can live God's life.
And as we approach this altar, we, we then realize that we're, we're not just receiving our Lord's body and blood as a gift that we don't deserve. And it's not just that we are able to join our prayers and our sacrifices to his, but it, he and the Father are one, distinct but inseparable, and if by virtue of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we as well are distinct from Christ but inseparable, according to St. Augustine, then we are, we are part of his sacrifice. We can love God with the love of the Son because we are one with him. When we receive then our Lord, and for so many of us, these days, it's for the second time or the, or the seventh time or the twelfth time. We realize that we are, we are being loved as God loves his son. And we are able to love God as his son loves in return with the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.